Hello, lovely humans. I'm Wyoli, and you are listening to Sex Stories, a podcast where we get sexy details from lovers of all types and stripes in an effort to come together and spread ripples of love all over the world. Our guest today is a bisexual polyamorous kinkster and author of Boy Slut, a memoir and manifesto. He is the editor-in-chief of Boy Slut Zine, which publishes non-fiction erotica from kinksters across the globe. He is into daisy chains, getting throat fucked, and putting big things up his ass. Welcome, Zachary Zane! Oh, that is definitely the best bio and introduction that I've ever received, and it's all true. I love love it. it. I'm so excited to hear your sex stories. Can you please start off by telling our sweet listeners... If you had to rate yourself today on a sexual shameometer, with 10 being the most full of shame and one being pretty good to go, where do you fall right now? Oh, I'd say I'm about a 1, 1. 1.5. I okay. mean, my book is literally about how to overcome sexual shame and how I reach the point of starting at a 10 and getting to a 1. Fuck yeah. That's fucking awesome. Okay, I will disclose I have not read this book yet, but it is in my future. But could you just give us a little overview right now of what your sex life is like? My sex life is fabulous, which I really appreciate. So I do have a partner right now. And we go to sex parties together. We go to sex parties alone. Again, I'm polyamorous. So my partner is a cis woman, but then I also, I'm bisexual. So then I use like Sniffies. I don't know if you've heard of that app. It's kind of like- no grinder on crack Um, (laughs) just in case grinder wasn't enough for you but the way it is is it's actually a browser as opposed to like an app so that way you can actually post like dick pics and asshole pics in your profile pic because that's the reason why you can is because google and ios don't allow it and then what it is is it's a map so you see exactly where everyone is on the map and you can like host bukakis and gangbangs you can host like cum dumps it, it really is absolutely fucking wild so that's how i have more kinkier sex with men but yeah i, I think i'm really lucky to be part of this like sex positive community where it's like all my friends are people i have sex with you know the vast majority of them and we just throw parties where it's just, you know, the 20 of us at a friend's house and we have a party, but it ends with all of us having sex. So it's pretty fun. That sounds literally fucking fantastic. What would you say is your favorite part in this moment? Is that an impossible question? I do love it when I take like a step back and think about like my 16, 17 year old, like closeted self who was like mortified, you know, to talk to women, just like it would get like a panic attack, could not approach and speak to anyone was so awkward. I just thought I was going to like die a virgin. Like I really did. And then to think where I am now is pretty wild. So I do love taking a step back and really also being part of this like bisexual, sex positive, kinky community. I think for a while, I really struggled, like even after coming out as bi, just because, you know, women didn't want to date me because they thought I was using it as a stepping stone on the way to being gay. Gay men were extremely condescending and pedantic being like, oh, Zach, I was bi too. You'll get there. And I'm like, this. And now I'm in a space where like women want to date me because I'm bi. I'm celebrated for being bi. I taught that I'm bi. So like even that mild fetishization, I love it. I live for it. So I'm in a place where I'm like celebrated for my sexuality. And that's a really phenomenal feeling. That's amazing. That's really amazing. I would love to hear in your personal opinion What do you believe makes you an excellent lover and or what are your best qualities as a lover? Ooh, I think I have a very natural knack at making people feel comfortable and feel like so they can share what it is their desires are, their kinkier desires, 
I'm direct without necessarily being aggressive or assertive, where I kind of like state what I want and ask if they're interested in it and kind of create a space where oftentimes people feel like, oh, that's the first time I've done something like this, or I've always wanted to explore this and never had the courage to do so. So I think a lot of it is just making people feel really comfortable. I think in the way that I kind of talk about sex, where it's like, if I talk about it without shame, and I'm not embarrassed talking about my desires, I've now created a space for you to not be embarrassed talking about your desires. So I think just that setting, I've also really owned what I like. And I communicate that. And so I think a part of it is when I'm really enjoying sex, often my partners are really enjoying sex as well. They see how turned on I am, they get turned on, and then it you know grows exponentially here. So I think really owning my desires and being comfortable and explicitly stating what it is that I want and then creating space for them to state what they want. And all of a sudden we're working, you know, we have a party here, you know, we're having a really great sexual connection. So I feel like that's one thing that's taken a while to feel just so comfortable and create that space, but where I am now. And I think that's what makes the sex I have so great. That's awesome. Would you say you're typically then in the role of the initiator or on sniffies? Are you ever just like more receptive or just like open to possibility? Or are you typically more kind of like focused on fulfilling a desire or initiating with partners? Like what's that landscape like for you? I think it depends. You know, like for me, sex is so many things, you know, and that's why I love having sex in a way that's just like, I'm really open to all new experiences, things that I have not tried. I just find sex fascinating. And so, you know, I have sex that's about, you know, pushing my limits and extreme hardcore stuff. I have sex that like is more therapeutic, which is helping me with my anxiety, which is helping move energy around my body. I have sex in a way that really feels like connective and loving. And I have that sex with my partner or just like novelty sex. So I'm really open to everything. But I'm no longer in a place where like, if I know I've done something, and I do not like it. I'm not going to be like, oh, let's try this again. Like, I'm like, no, I, I know what I like and don't like. So if we're not a match, I'm not going to necessarily try it. But if it's something that I haven't explored, then I'm open to trying it. That's so fun. I love it. I'm the same way. Okay. In that vein, can you please give us an example of a sexy, explicitly clear yes that you have either given or received that led to something super hot? For work, I get to travel around and literally go to sex resorts and write about them. So I have a great job being a sex relationship. Wait, this is on my I literally was talking to someone yesterday. I was like, I need to go check out these sex resorts. I know they exist. I just don't know if I could even function in them. And I have to find out which ones are good. You have to tell me where to go. I can really help with that. That is like part of my job, which is so much fun. So I was at LLV, which is Luxury Lifestyle Vacations, and they do like swinger takeovers. So they'll like rent out the entire cruise ship. They'll rent out the entire hotel. And I was there and definitely one of the, I think I was 30 at the time, maybe. I'm 32 now for reference. So this was maybe two years ago, kind of like after the vaccine, like that little era where people were very excited again. And I'd say the average age of the people there was maybe like 55. And so I was this hot little young thing, you know, flaunting myself in my Speedo. And this woman who, it's an all-you-can-drink place, so but she got specific bottle service for herself, which is just such a flex on top of that to get, like, top, top shelf. And she calls me over, and she looks like Kate Hudson or Goldie Hawn. You know, Goldie Hawn's maybe older daughter, you know, somewhere in between their ages, but looks like them. Gorgeous woman in her late 60s, and she, like, singles me out. I'm like, oh, my God, like, this is awesome. She's like, come here. 
like her husband's next to her and like her husband's dressed very Miami Vice type deal. <laughs> and she's like flirting with me so hard and I feel very special. I'm like, oh, it's because I'm this cute young thing. And then she goes like, are you into men as well? And I go, yes, I am. And I'm like, okay, I want you to come back with me. So I go back with her and her husband and then they get like another like almost like staff worker who works there who they've been flirting with so all four of us can go fuck. And so she clocked me for being bi. Oh, no. What she said was like, will you fuck my husband? I said, only if I can fuck you too. And she goes, I love that. Let's do that. So we go back. I'm having sex with her first. He's having sex with the other woman. Then we switch. And she goes, like, I want you to fuck my gay husband. And she keeps on saying, I want you to fuck my gay husband. And as I'm fucking him, he's like shouting. He's like, I love being gay so much. I love it. I'm such a gay boy. And like the wife, like she was like, I'm not joking. Her face was like six inches away from me penetrating her husband, like so close, narrowed in. And it was one of the like hottest, wildest kind of like sexual experiences. Like this was a thing. And I think the husband is bi, you know what I mean? Like, and clearly loves his wife. They've had a great connection. He loved having sex with the other woman too. But it was just like such a funny, hilarious. And like, they had like the biggest suite there. Like it was like these, clearly these gajillionaires who know exactly what the fuck they want to do, have been doing this shit for forever and just like have their life figured out, having the exact sex we want. We probably fucked like an hour and a half. And then literally they like, we all come, we finish. And she's like, oh, we're running a half an hour late for um, dinner. So they'd like rush out, like drink any alcohol you want. You can stay as long as you want. And I was like, I remember like turning to the other woman and being like, what the fuck just <laughs> <laughs> What is this whirlwind? Yeah, those were just a lot of enthusiastic guesses that led to, uh, again, I, I don't know if it's like a kink or what it was, but an interesting dynamic that I was just not expecting that was really, really hot. Oh, I fucking love that. Yeah. Damn. And have so many questions about these cruise ships. Did you say a staff <laughs> member? It was, yeah, I don't know if I probably maybe shouldn't have said that. I'm trying to think like, is that. I'm like, I want to work on one of these boats. <laughs> I, I think they're not, I don't know if they're like, they're not supposed to maybe do that, but if they're turned on, they're allowed to have, be flirty and have some fun. So I love that. I think it would actually be very cruel to hire people onto a ship where they're not allowed. I, I mean, whatever. It's my fantasy. Okay. Thank you for that story. That is so fun. What did, did you stay and drink their alcohol? Did you rush off to your own dinner? I think at that point, my girlfriend was off having sex with someone else. And I'm like, oh, I texted her. I looked at my phone. She's like, where are you? Can we get dinner? I finished having sex. I'm like, I'm about to tell you a pretty wild story right now. So then I think the two of us got dinner. Damn, that's amazing. Oh, my God. So Already such a good setup for future stories. I'm so excited. Okay, so you already told us a little bit about how sex is a lot of things to you. Can you define sexy for yourself? Like, what is sexy to Zachary Zane? Ooh, again, and I feel like I don't want to be a broken record here, but it's something that really finds sexy is people who are confident about what they like and like kind of engage in it shamelessly. I just find that confidence extremely sexy and that knowledge of being like, okay, this is what I like. This is what I don't like. Here's how we can have an incredible time together. Did you ever get a health and safety conversation when you were growing up? Yeah. But it was literally just focused on condoms and like STIs and really demonizing STIs and making it seem like if you get one, you are dirty or filthy and it's the worst thing that's going to happen to you and your dick's going to fall off. 
So I got like the bare minimum. It was nothing about sexual pleasure, nothing about queer sex. It was literally just like STIs and labeling like, here's the fallopian tube. Like, here's the vast deference and those are the charts. I'm like, how is this helpful in any way, shape or form? But all I was told was to wear condoms. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So how do you navigate health and safety conversations now, especially as a poly person? So I'm very open about my level of risk, right? Because, you know, a lot of queer men in New York City and on these apps, we're all on prep and we don't use condoms the same way. And that's kind of our decision to make. You know, it's about sexual autonomy. So I let people know, like, obviously, most women want me to wear condoms. And I'm more than happy, of course, to wear condoms with them. But I, when people don't want to, I'm let them know, I'm like, hey, I'm high risk. Like, I do have unprotected sex with men. I'm on prep. So we're not going to get HIV. But if something, if you are very STI averse, okay, I might not be the person you want to be sleeping with. And the way my girlfriend and I, we navigate it right now is I get tested every six weeks. And after I get tested, if everything comes back negative, we'll have unprotected sex for whatever it is, about two, three weeks. And then I end up, you know, going to a gay sex party or something. And, And then after that, we wear condoms again until I get tested. But I think it's just a lot of communication and honesty about it. I feel like a lot of STI shaming creates people that they don't want to be honest. They don't want to get tested. They kind of skirt these conversations versus I'm like, well, no, like we can have these conversations. It's important to have these conversations. And we all have, again, different levels of risk tolerance when it comes to this stuff. I also know like STIs affect like penises and vaginas very differently. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's like, okay, if I get gonorrhea once a year, uh, you know, I get tested, I treat it, I get to tell my partners, I just had an uncomfortable 48 hours of drippage. You know what I mean? It's really not a big deal for me at all, but for other people it is. So I get tested frequently. I wear condoms with my partners and I enthusiastically want to. If my partner is someone who's like, oh no, I want you to breed me or, oh, I don't want you to wear condom, then I don't. It requires, you know, a lot of trust and that people know that, like, for example, with my girlfriend, she knows, you know, there was a time where I just got tested and like a week later, I got drunk and had sex with a dude. And then I told her, I was like, hey, so by the way, this happened. And she's like, oh, damn it, this is annoying. Now we have to wait another four weeks to have unprotected sex. But she trusts me enough to know that I'm not going to lie to her, right? Like, and if I make a mistake or something, I just let her know. How did you come up with the six weeks system? Like, where does that number come from? Just convenience? Oh, oh that's not exactly, it's not exactly oh. six weeks. Sorry, probably every six weeks to eight weeks. I mean, no matter what, I get tested every three months because of prep, because I'm on Truvada and that's mandated. But I've realized for me, like, because of how much sex I have, like, it's good for me to go in more frequently because I don't always have protected sex, especially good for me to go in more frequently. Yeah. Okay. Now I would love to dive into your personal history and I would love for you to take us through your formative sexual experiences and maybe wrap that up with your work as we get to those years. Starting with, when do you first remember hearing about sex? Like, what do you remember thinking and feeling about it? What are those early formative memories? It's one of the first, I'm actually just wrote about this in my book. So I remember I was trying to think of the first times I remember sex. Like it was actually like a blowjob. I learned what that meant in the context of Monica Lewinsky and Bill Clinton. That was the context in which I learned what a blowjob was. I remember being like, well, what's going on? Everyone's talking about it. There are jokes everywhere. And what was that scandal? It was like 98 around then. So I must have been around like seven years old. And like people like talking about it, but not wanting to share. So I remember that was the context in which I learned, which is also such a fucked up context to learn, right? Because you're learning that this is a bad thing to be done and that like this woman should not have done it. And she's being penalized for having doing it when clearly it was the most powerful man in the world seducing this woman. And then she becomes, you know, the butt of a joke for forever. I feel quite bad for her. 
But anyway, so that was the context in which I learned what a blowjob was. Sex? I don't remember like the first time like I heard about what sex was. I actually don't remember. But I do talk about this in my book. I had OCD growing up and it would manifest with sexual shame. So I would imagine everyone naked and then just start like crying and bawling. I'd be like seven, eight years old and convincing myself that I'm a terrible person and I'm this bad person for imagining people naked. And it became this kind of obsession in my mind where I'm like, don't imagine people naked. Now I am. I'm a terrible person. So that was kind of one of my like some of the earliest childhood memories I have surrounding sex or nudity is just shame. Wow. Yeah. When did that start to shift and or how did that affect your discovery of your own body? I'm trying to think, when did it start to shift? I feel like when I got to college and I started getting more educated about actually sexual health, about queer identity, and meeting other people who are more sex positive. You know what I mean? I went to Vassar, which is like a small liberal arts school that's very queer friendly and very sex positive. So all of a sudden I'm being among other people where I'm learning about, okay, why sex negativity exists, why sexual shame exists, why we all experience it, how to combat it. And I would take these courses. You know, I take any sex-related course that existed at Vassar so I could learn about it. And I think it was just through education and actually having an opportunity. Okay, I'm out on my own. I'm in college. I'm 3,000 miles away from my home. I can actually explore sexually and not be worried about it, like getting back to my family. I have a little bit of freedom here. It's also college, so everyone's having sex with everyone because we're all excited because we're at fucking college. And I'm now educating myself. Yeah, but still, oh my God, the first, like, I used to struggle getting hard so much. Like, after my first girlfriend, like, literally, it was like the first, like, 20 women I had sex with, I was so nervous and just Mm -hmm. so anxious to be having sex. And, like, there would be times where, like, I couldn't get hard. I remember one woman, like, shamed me for it, yelled at me. She's like, are you gay? What's the deal? I'm leaving. And then I turned out to be bi, so... (gasps) And I know she was just feeling, of course, she was hurt and feeling like, oh, I'm not attractive enough. And was her, she was lashing out because of her own insecurities and projecting. But I'm like, you know, 18 years old and it's traumatizing. Right. But like for years, I couldn't get hard. And then I don't even like, eventually you're just like, well, I'm not going to get hard anyway. And then you, then you do get hard because you're no longer nervous the same way. So I had a challenging many years, you know, uh, navigating this for sure. But I think it was just over time and having healthy relationships with people who I loved, who I trusted, educating myself, I was kind of able to move to a place without shame. Okay. Can you fill in some of the gaps for us between the kind of like early years that were very shame-filled and those college years? Like when did you discover your body? Did you have any like early partnered explorations? It sounds like maybe you had your partnered sexual debut around 18. Like walk us through some of your like timeline moments. So I remember I first started jacking off very late. I tried to like masturbate. I was like eighth grade. So 13, 14. At this point, like all my friends had come and been jacking off for a long period of time. And I was masturbating and I couldn't come. And I'd ask my friends. And it's really tough to describe. They're just like, you know, like rub your dick up and down with lube. And like if something feels good, keep doing it. But like if you've never done it before, it's really difficult to be like, how do you reach orgasm? And for like six months, I remember trying to like jack off. This is in the days of like nudie mags that like my brother got from his friend and his friend stole it from his dad. I remember the name of the magazine. It was called Lesbian Licks. So it was like this (laughs) lesbian magazine. These two women were eating each other out. And I remember like, oh shit, I I feel something. And then I came 
I had like one tissue and I thought that would be enough. I mean, I hadn't come my entire life. It was just like a fucking like faucet, like absolutely <laughs> everywhere and being like, oh my God, what's going on? This is hilarious. And then after that, oh my God, I jack off like literally the moment I got home, I would jack off. Like, I, I mean, you're 13, 14, your hormones are wild. And I was like jacking off every day the moment I got home. My friend to this day makes fun of me when I told him I finally came and he does an impression of me with these big bug eyes being like, dude, I did it. I did it. And like the joy and like, it's so fucking silly. And I love that. I had a really, I don't want to say traumatic because I, I don't know if traumatic is the right word. I don't want to overuse it. But like, so I was dating this woman at 17 for about six months and I had no problem getting hard whenever we like I ate her out or she was blowing me fine. We have sex and we like plan it for a night. So it's like we've been dating seven months. We had healthy conversations. We plan it for a night. Her parents are out of town. I'm so excited to go. I get there and for the first time ever, I can't get hard. Like when I know we're going to have sex and I literally ended up just like running out of her apartment. I was so embarrassed and so ashamed. Like I started crying. She's like, Zach, like, please don't leave. Like it's totally fine. You're just nervous. Like, don't worry about it. Yeah. Very mature for her age. Yeah. And I literally cried. I got in the car, just started bawling and cried the entire car ride home. I had to pull over to the side of the road because I was crying so hard. I felt so ashamed Damn. and so embarrassed and emasculated. And then luckily, I was very lucky to have this woman who I did, who I trust and loved. And, you know, we had a, gave it a few more shots. And then we started having sex with no problem whatsoever. I had no problem getting hard. I was coming. I was enjoying it. It was a lot of fun. Probably not the best sex because we're 17 and we have no idea what we're doing. Sure, but sure. Still, still, we were having sex. You know what I mean? So that was a very formative experience in my life. Yeah. So was it with new partners after that, that it was like hard to say hard? You said it was like for a while. Yeah, exactly. So it was with new partners with that. And then like I'd learn over time when I would just say like, hey, sometimes I struggle getting hard. Just know it has nothing to do with you then I would have no problem getting hard, right? Like if their response was just being like, hey, oh, that's totally fine. Because I think a lot of it came from the fact that they would be like, oh, I'm not attractive enough. Oh, he doesn't like me. Oh, he's gay, whatever it is. And then Mm -hmm. it creates this weird dynamic versus if you're like, hey, it actually has nothing to do with you or because I actually really like you. So I'm nervous and like, oh, that's very sweet. And then if I can't get hard the first couple times, they know it's the reason. And then usually by round three or whatever, I get hard. And then it's consistent once that kind of happens. So yeah, kind of in college, once I need to have that connection to feel safe in order to get hard. And then over time, I just no longer started struggling with it. And also now we live in the age of like Viagra and stuff like that. That's so easy to get online. So it's just like if I'm going to a sex party or something like that, and I know I'm going to have a million eyes on me. I take one for that. So that way there's just no issue whatsoever. So that's a healthy kind of stopgap measure when I'm like, okay, this is a high intensity situation. I sometimes perform live sex acts at like sex clubs that I get paid for, which is a ton of fun. And so for that, it's like, I want to make sure that I'm hard, right? Like, so you don't want to leave that up to chance. So that's also really helpful for that as well. Okay. Ooh, when did you discover your asshole? When did I discover my asshole? So it was pretty funny. So I came out as bi and was very nervous to bottom. Wait, when did you come out as bi? Uh, I came out as bi after college, after five years of getting drunk and hooking up with guys. Okay. And it was actually my brother who was like, hey, you know, we're all more feminine. You know, I hooked up with a couple guys in college. I think your other brother did too. And we came to the conclusion we were straight. You've been doing this for five years? Like at some point, that's like a stable orientation. 
I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be like married to a man and on her 40th anniversary be like, thank you so much for staying with me as I continue to explore my sexuality as a straight man. It's been a very beautiful relationship. So at that point, I went to see a therapist and this therapist, like I went in, I would talked about how confused I was, how I think I was gay or straight and all this stuff. And on our second session, he interrupted me. He's like, Zach, you wanted me to be very blunt with you. Like that was one of the things you made very clear when you started seeing me. You know, when we say the word confused actually means something almost clinically in an LGBTQ setting, you seem very clearly bisexual. Is there something I'm missing? Is there something you're not sharing? And I go, oh, that shit doesn't exist in men. And he goes, Zach, you're too smart to think that, which was such a good kind of like ego jab too in it being like, of course, bisexuality exists. But at the time, every guy who I knew in college who came out as bi came out as gay shortly after. There weren't any male bisexual visibility in media or anything. I would Google bi guy and it would just be like studies about like bi guys having and spreading HIV like or, or like a 10 things to never say to bisexual people. So like it just really did not seem like it existed. So then from that, I slowly started to embrace my bisexuality. Yeah. So then I, I was actually exclusively topping at this point and I had a guy who I was dating like you know we were like in that situation ship deal yeah, yeah. for like nine ten months and he's like zach you know i'm verse like at some like i would you like to bottom you should try it and i trusted him so i did it and i did absolutely everything wrong like i did not douche so i just felt very dirty and messy and was worried about that the first time you're getting like fucked in the ass the only sensation you're really used to is shit coming out of your ass so i kept yep. on thinking i was shitting <laughs> so, I, so i could probably be like did i poop did i shit and he'd be like no no and on the seventh time he was like zach if you shit your shit please stop asking like apparently uh you know asking your partner repeatedly if you shat on his dick isn't a big turn on uh who knew i mean i'm sure there's someone out there but maybe in general oh, oh no, no no yes this is absolutely not don't yuck anyone's yum there are definitely people in the scat plate Lovers, this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. We all know that the foundation to an awesome sex life is excellent mental and physical health, but if proper rest, exercise, and a healthy lifestyle aren't leading to the blood flow you'd like when and where you'd like it, check out BlueChew.com. BlueChew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever the opportunity arises. And the process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you are approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online, so no visits to the doctor's office, no dealing with awkward physicians who aren't trained to talk about sex lives, plus no waiting in line at the pharmacy. BlueChew's tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet pack. They always say first impressions are important, but what about lasting impressions? Lovers, I do believe that we can always make loving, lasting impressions by connecting and being present and chasing our pleasure and our partner's pleasure. And if your priority is making a deep, deep impression between two beautiful, enthusiastic thighs or cheeks in the name of partnered pleasure, I get it. I've worn a strap on now. I, too, love having a hard cock. Blue Chew and I want you to have better sex. Discover your options at BlueChew.com. Chew it and do it. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code LOVER at checkout. You just pay $5 for shipping. That is BlueChew.com promo code LOVER to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And thank you to Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. But... So we did it. And afterwards, I remember like wiping my ass the next day and like just blood everywhere because we didn't use enough lube. I was clenching. I wasn't breathing. So I got anal fissures. Fuck. Your first time? Yeah. So then I was like, you know what? This isn't for me. This isn't for me. 
And then I was dating a woman and she's bi as well. And she was like very excited to do shit to my ass. And I was like, oh no, I don't do that. She was like, what? <laughs> Absolutely. She was like, she was like very upset. And her thing, interestingly enough, was to like fuck straight dudes in the ass and specifically call them like a faggot and homo and do like a humiliation kink. And I told her, I'm like, well, if you do that for me, I am bi. I am a faggot. I am a homo. Like, I'm going to laugh. Like, it's not going to humiliate me because I don't yeah. find my sexuality humiliating. And she was like, well, I still want to get in your ass. And I actually have a whole chapter about this in my book. It's called <laughs> Don't Be Gay, Just Shove It Up Your Ass. Uh, <laughs> I, I talk about I talk about my experience going into anal play in more detail. But anyway, she was like, Zach, like, it feels amazing, especially because you have a prostate and you're a guy. And she's like, I really want you to try this. And I'm like, okay, since I'm such a great boyfriend, I'll try shoving something up my ass. No. So I go and she's like, make sure you watch porn so you're aroused. Make sure to breathe. Use a lot of lube. For some reason, I used conditioner while in the shower. And I don't know why. And so like my laptop was on the other side. I'm like contorting myself like a pretzel, trying to like stick my fingers up my ass. I'm trying to not fall in the shower. And I'm like, it did not feel good. So I explained this to her and she's like, you did everything wrong again. Like you didn't lose lube. You weren't aroused. You didn't clench. Hold on. I'm going to blow you and finger your asshole. Is that okay? And I'm like, again, since I'm such a great boyfriend, I said, okay. (laughs) And she did this and I was like, holy fuck. This feels amazing. Amazing. And I like came my face off. And after that, it was so funny because she like opened up a Pandora's box where I just kept on wanting shit up my ass. And she was like, well, you know, like sometimes I'd like you to fuck me too. I'm like, nope, my ass isn't involved in this. Not going to happen at this point. Not actually, but like, no, we had sex where I was penetrating her as well. But it just became this thing where I was like obsessed with it. It felt so good. And then over time, I'm definitely now like completely verse and I enjoy that. But it is somewhat ironic that of all the guys who tried to fuck me, being like, oh, you're going to love it. Like, don't worry, I'll be gentle. Like it took a woman to get me to fall in love with anal play. That's very beautiful. Will you take us through some of the like toys that you enjoy playing with or kind of like what you've been sticking up there that's very large lately since you, you know, um, since it was in your intro? <laughs> it's It was, it was. No, so I love me a good vibrating butt plug. That is Zach's happy place. Some of the best ones are from B-Vibe. I really enjoy them. They have like huge sizes. I also, th- speaking of which, I feel like a shameless plug, but I worked with Fun Factory on this bisexual flag colored dildo called the Buy Amour, and you can get it on their site. It's sadly not a mold of my penis. I really wanted it to be, but they did it to celebrate the release of my book, Boy Slut. So you can actually buy the dildo. The Buy Amour is great for beginners because I think it has a little less than five inches of insertable length. Highly recommend it for bisexual people because I do love the little buy flag. And you can also buy my book as an add-on when you buy the buy a more dildo. Shameless plug. Literally so hot. Like every like you having a book that goes with a dildo. Like, did you ever think you would achieve what a what a life goal to unlock? <laughs> it was pretty fucking cool. It, it, yeah. it is really, really cool that that happened. That like I have my own fucking dildo is pretty sick. And it's extremely bisexual, which I absolutely love. Damn. When did you become a work slut, a proper boy slut. Like what was your trajectory like to get to where you are now? So I, I thought I was going to get a PhD in clinical psychology. Mm-hmm. And I was working at Harvard Medical Center as a smoking cessation researcher and counselor. So okay. figuring out the best way to get people to quit smoking cigarettes. And I was there 
and I was really bored at work. I asked my boss to put me on like another study and she was like, well, when clients need you, they need you. We'd rather you have some downtime. But I didn't want to conspicuously fuck off on like Facebook because it's just not a good look as people are walking by in the office. So I wrote a novel, which will never see the light of day, terrified about it. But after I wrote it to get an agent, you have to write other pieces, right? And so I wrote a piece for Exo Jane's Vertical, if you remember that site from a while ago. Yeah. And they titled it, I came out as bi and now can't date anyone gay or straight. But it spoke about how the struggles I had coming out as bi in terms of dating. And it wasn't until I met and fell in love with a bi woman where I felt extremely accepted and loved and appreciated. And we had this very healthy relationship. So that piece went viral in a way I was not expecting. And the reason why, in hindsight, is because there was such a dearth of bisexual content. Like everything at the time was bi content catered or geared towards gay and straight people to prove to them that we exist. So it was like 10 things to never say to bisexuals or 10 myths about bisexuality or like it was all yeah justifying our bisexuality to gay and straight people Hmm. versus I actually wrote an article from a bi perspective to other bi people discussing, you know, how to have a healthy and loving and romantic relationship as a bi person. And the answer was to date other bi people. (laughs) So from that, I started getting so much more work, just like people reached out being like, hey, will you write a piece for us? And so I became initially known as the bi guy. And I really tackled topics that I hadn't seen elsewhere, where it's like how to deal with internalized biphobia, you know, how to feel welcome in a gay space, even though you're bi and you're bringing your woman, you don't want to co-op that space, you don't want to make out, but at the same time, you deserve to be there, how to come out as bi to your family, how to respond to bigots or people who don't believe that bisexuality is real. So if I really delved into this. And then from that, I expanded out. So I just didn't talk about bisexuality. I just started talking about queer sexuality at large and started talking a lot about, you know, gay sex, gay relationships, grinder, hookup culture. From there, expanded out to all at like straight men as well. And that's how I ended up with the sex and relationship advice column at Men's Health Magazine. So I write Sex Explain It. And then from there, expanded out to just all sexuality, all genders, all sex dating relationships. And now I actually have an ethical non-monogamy column at Cosmopolitan that just started a couple months ago. And it's a monthly column where I share all the mistakes I've made in my polyamorous journey. So you don't have to because I've been Mm -hmm. poly for about a decade. And it seems like there's a lot of introductory content to polyamory and ethical non-monogamy right now. And when I pitched this column to Cosmo, I was like, there's such a huge interest in E&M. And yet the only articles that exist are like how to open up your relationship or how to deal with jealousy. And I'm like, Many of us are not opening up a relationship and many of us don't struggle with jealousy. I don't really struggle with it. If I do, I talk to my partner about it. I get reassurance. We're fine. There's still 10 million things we struggle with that I haven't seen addressed elsewhere. Yeah. So that's kind of how I got to where I am. That's where I got to, you know, writing this book, Boy Slut, which is, I'm I'm just so happy with it. And the feedback has been so phenomenal. It is raunchy. It is kinky. I talk about getting throat fucked and like puking on dicks. Like it is out of control, a lot of fun, but it's about how to overcome sexual shame. And I just have never seen a queer story like this written by an openly bisexual man Mm. about how to overcome sexual shame. And so I don't want to say my whole career like culminated in this. I'm only 32. Like, Like there will be more to have happened, but like, I'm really, really happy that this book is out here and exists. Fuck yeah. Yeah. What a great initiation to your life. Like, what a great first decade of grown uping, right? Like, yeah. It, that's hot. I, was, I was thinking about how, like, I was going to apply to PhD programs, end up not doing it, had like this panic attack. And I was like, 
God, I would still be in my postdoc right now. Like I did six years of a PhD, three years of postdoc, and then you just write grants until you die. I remember like when people would be like, oh, I love my job. I'd be like, fuck you. No one actually loves their job. Like, don't be annoying about it. Like, it's so fucking annoying. You just do it and like, it's fine. And I realized how unhappy I was working at this lab. And again, there are elements of my job that I do not like. There's a shocking number of emails that go along with being a sex writer and just a lot of hatred and flack, of course, that you receive from a lot of people as well. But God, I, I really do love my job. I get paid to write stories about having sex all around the world. Like, that's pretty fucking cool. It's pretty fucking hot. Here's a question. Do you identify as a sex worker? It's interesting. I usually will say I work in sex because I feel like not that I have any negative connotation with being a sex worker. I've been paid for sex. I've paid sex workers for sex. I absolutely love sex work. But I also feel like I might be co-opting an identity that's not mine exactly because I don't experience, you know, discrimination. It's a good question, though, isn't it? Because like, when did I become a sex worker? Was it with this podcast when I started making money talking about my sex life? Is it on OnlyFans? Was it when I started touching people? You know, who knows? I don't know. It's tough. I just don't want to make it seem like, oh, I'm a sex worker. So I understand your struggle in a way where it's like, well, no, I, I'm not on OnlyFans. No, I'm not meeting up yeah. with clients the same way. So I don't want to co-opt identity that's not mine, but I usually say like, yeah, I work in sex mm. is how I frame it. The sex industry. Okay. So you're sex not- Sex industry, exactly. There you go. Oh, you're not like, would you ever make a video content or do you like to keep it all kind of like in person and contained and mysterious and in words? So it's still so weird how even though I write the raunchiest shit whatsoever and my, the digital zine boy sled on Substack, like- I'm talking about getting gang banged and throat fucked in a way that is just so intense. And yet that final push, like, and that's completely fine that I write that. But if I actually was to be naked online and have videos of it, like that could actually penalize my work, which is hilarious considering I'm a sex writer. But there have been like TV shows where like, oh, like, do you do any? I'm like, I write about sex all the time. Like, oh, well, you can't have an OnlyFans. You can't have videos of yourself out there. Like, do you have any like photos of you. I'm like, I've sent nudes to about probably 1,500, if not 5,000 men on Grindr in my life. My nudes are there. If someone wanted to find them, it would not be hard. For free. Uh, right? But also, th there's something about the allure and the mystery because I write about sex so much and I write about me having sex. Like people imagine it in a way that I think is, they probably think I'm so much better at sex than I am. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They're imagining me doing these uh, death defying acts and having sex for 50 hours. I like letting your imagination run wild with how I have sex. And so many people have jacked off like to my articles, literally hundreds upon hundreds of people have jacked off to it. And they love to tell me exactly at what point they came, which is pretty funny. <gasps> That's hot. And people have jacked off to my book, Boy Slot. I'm like, even though it's more serious and not nearly as raunchy, I'm like, did you guys jack off to it? And literally, I did like a post on Instagram or a poll. I think it was like 60%, which was a couple hundred people were just like, yo, no, no, we masturbated. I'm like, okay, at what point did you masturbate? And they were sharing it, which was pretty funny. That's fucking amazing. But no, I think what I said was if I became a New York Times bestseller, I'd start an OnlyFans with full frontal, full face, full asshole shots and everything. Alas, people didn't buy, they didn't want to see it that much. They didn't buy enough books. I didn't become a New York Times bestseller, but I guess there, there's still time. I was going to say, you haven't time. become one yet. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> True. True. Ooh. Wow. Okay, so here's my question. As a person who is working in the sex industry, as your visibility increases, 
is that affecting your personal life? Like, have you had people be like, Zach, come fuck me? Like, what's your sex life been like? It is so interesting. People want to fuck a sex and relationship advice columnist. People want to fuck the boy slut. And sometimes it's great. In general, I try to not fuck, I don't want to say fans, but readers. You know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things where if they've put me on this weird pedestal, like, I'm like, I I don't want to do this. If you're like, oh, I've read your work and it's cool. Okay. Like, this is a normal, healthy kind of relationship as opposed to a more parasocial relationship. But it's definitely people want to specifically have sex with me because I write about sex and like, oh my God, am I going to be written about in your zine or written about? I'm like, no, probably not. Like I have a ton of sex that I'm not writing about. I only write about the sex that usually there's some form of like overarching narrative about something I learned about myself or something that speaks to like sex and tech and society, that intersection, whatever it is. But it's like, no, the vast majority of the time I don't want to write about sex And certain things I just don't share with public too. Like I want to make sure sex is still personal and still mine. I think there was a point when I became like a sex writer and like really almost there was like a a few month period where I kind of got in my head where I'm like, oh, am I using the right techniques that I wrote about in this place or I didn't communicate this? And I got like very in my head and very worried that like people would be like, oh my God, Zach writes about sex, but he wasn't incredible in bed or something like that. And then finally- I was just like, oh my God, just enjoy yourself and really learn to differentiate between like, okay, yes, I have my sex writer and my persona that I have online. And persona is still me. Absolutely. I'm not lying in any way, shape or form, but it's a exaggerated version of me. It's a little bit of a caricature of me. And then I have some things that are definitely just for myself. And that's really important to have too. But I think as my profile grows, I understand my prominent sex writers. You know, people like Dan Savage doesn't talk about his sex life anymore, really. I like, we, we don't know what type of relationship he has or what's going on there. And I can see probably why that is. You know, it's for his safety. Like, I've overshared a lot. And I now actually, ironically, now I'm on this podcast really sharing. But I think in terms of aspects of my personal life, I might have to start keeping them a little bit separate mm. moving forward. Yeah, I've been asking myself the question of like, what is oversharing? Because I know that my open shares have helped a lot of people, but also exactly, I'm now getting into that weird backwards loop thing. And yeah, what you said about the projection pedestal is is really, I feel that so hardcore. Yeah. So lovers, we are going to take a quick pause for a word from our sponsor. And they have given me notes to do a sultry female voice. So I'm very excited and I'm going to do my best. Did you know the Flora app is a safe place to open up? Embrace your desires and find like-minded people. This is the story of one couple who found the threesome of their dreams, discovered a new level of shared passion, and stepped into a whole other realm of possibilities, all thanks to Fleur. As life's routines settled in, Robert and Lucy found themselves yearning to explore uncharted territories, so they downloaded Fleur and embarked upon a thrilling journey of sensual experimentation, learning more about each other's desires in the process. Open-minded and adventurous, Robert and Lucy dreamt of adding a new dimension to their intimacy, sharing the touch of another woman, being witnessed and connecting in a way that transcends the ordinary. In Fleur's diverse and accepting community, Lucy connected with Emily, a babe craving the same experiences. So they invited Robert to the conversation. The chemistry built and anticipation heightened as they exchanged messages until finally their agreed-upon date night arrived. A gorgeous hotel was the setting for their evening of pleasure, passion, and connection. A shared exploration that fulfilled each party's desires. Floor App celebrates the beauty of open-minded connections. 
It's a platform where fantasies come to life and desires are embraced without judgment. For couples seeking adventure with others or individuals keen on exploring, Floor invites us all to a world where every desire is a possibility waiting to unfold. Download Floor now, express your desires freely, and find like-minded people today. How do you choose? Like, what makes it compelling for you to fuck someone new these days? I mean, sometimes if you just catch me when I'm in a horny mood, you just luck the fuck out. You, you happen to message me on Instagram, and I've just like been literally writing erotica all day, sitting at my desk, getting myself hard as I'm writing erotica, and you hit me up, and I'm like, great, come over. So you just happen to catch me at the right time of me being very hot and turned on. But I think, you know, obviously, if I find them sexually attractive, if they're interested in doing something kinky, is always something different and new and kinky. I really do like group sex too. So if it's something where people are like, oh, we're planning an event and there's going to be nine of us. I'm like, okay, great. Especially since you planned it and I don't have to plan events. I've thrown sex parties and they're just a lot of work. So if you do the work and just want me to come and show up. Yeah. So it's that or engaging in, you know, very specific kinks. So if I can find someone who's into that as well, it's like, oh, great. We have a match here. But it's like, I'm still having a ton of casual sex. Do not get me wrong. So even though I'm like, okay, I'm like uh, being a little more discerning, I am. But I also am not having sex with people, not the people who message me on Instagram, you know, not the people who are hitting me up on Twitter. It's just random strangers who I either meet at a party who don't know who I am, or, you know, people online. And even online when afterwards, like, what do you do? I'm like, ah, fuck. Yeah, do you tell them? When do you tell them? (laughs) I mean, if they ask, it depends if I like them or whatever it is. I mean, there's always the joke that sex workers do where they say, oh, I'm an accountant. And the reason why they say that is because no one has any follow-up questions. No one's like, what type of accounting do you do? Oh, tax season must be hard. It's just like such a boring profession that no one has (laughs) follow-ups with. So it's a lot of my sex worker friends, like, what do you do? They just say accountant, which is just such a funny insidery thing that I learned recently. I didn't know that. My go-to is artist, but also like I am and I get away with a lot. I'm like, yeah, I paint circles. I take pictures. I write. I do a little bit of everything. And they, I just don't tell artist. them. Yeah, I just don't tell yeah. them that it's erotic art until we get deeper. It, it, and that's also what I do as well. I can kind of say like, oh, yeah, I work in sexual health writing. You know, like there's other ways. Like I know how to navigate. I work, you know, in LGBTQ writing, which is also as well. I do lifestyle and culture. Like there are ways to be vague about it. And I've learn this for two reasons. Number one, when I'm talking to my parents' friends or talking to yeah. adults and they're asking you about it, I don't be like, oh, I wrote about my asshole getting DP'd. <laughs> like, like, you know, like there are ways to kind of sound legitimate. Hey, I do lifestyle and culture writing that really focuses on the LGBTQ community. I write for Men's Health and Cosmopolitan, but I've also written for New York Times, Rolling Stone, Washington Post, GQ. I say that it's impressive while being very vague and not lying. So I know how to kind of say that to my parents' friends and then also to people where, again, I don't want to necessarily lie to them about what I do, but I don't want to then be interrogated about what I do either. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Would you feel comfortable sharing some of those kinks that are compelling enough for you to fuck someone new? Like, what are you into? What am I into these days? What I love is what I'm into just changes. Like, it really is. I feel like I go through waves of what it is. So I have a chapter about this in my book, which is called A Peg for Every Hole. (laughs) And it's actually not about pegging, but the idea was no matter what your kinks are, you can find a kink compatible partner. I've been doing right now like a lot of just like anonymous, brutal throat fucking where like I'll have my like head over the bed. I'll be blindfolded and the guy will like, I'll leave my door unlocked. So he just comes in, drops his pants 
and like throat fucks me but like just like i'm like do not let me breathe i do not want to be coming up for air if i fucking puke keep fucking going i love this shit and so i've been very into these like intense anonymous throat fucking things is what i've been doing now and oh yeah it's hot and you afterwards it's like my throat is like fucking i have a day where i'm like all right i can't speak i can't plan a podcast the day after this you know what i mean <laughs> and also you have to plan accordingly because like you can't do it like oh i just ate a burrito it's like you don't want that no. coming up you know like, i literally did barf nachos one time deep throating and i was like Note to self, don't do nachos. Like, That's better. What you want is like, I, I drink a lot of water. It's on empty stuff. So it's more like a messy, fluidy thing as opposed to like, oh, like puking up nachos, which is going to smell and be gross. Mm-hmm. Like not kink shaming. I'm sure people are into that as well. But like. It's not what I was going for in that instance. Yeah, yeah exactly. Just not what I was going for. So it's like, even if I'm turned on and I just had a big dinner, I'm like, hey, we got to wait and actually plan this out here <laughs> because otherwise this is going to be too much for all people involved here. Wait. So you never see them? It's completely anonymous? Or do you like chill afterwards? Or Well, I mean, afterwards, sometimes after they come in my mouth, like I'll take off my blindfolds and I'll be like, that was hot. They're like, yeah, that was hot. They put on their pants and they leave. Like most That's of the time so they cute. like, yeah. And it turns me on so much that I'm like, just let me know when you're about to come because I don't touch myself. And the moment they come, I can just, or I guess I taste it too. But then I just start shooting as well. So we always come together, which is awesome. That's incredible. And I came for the first time hands-free doing this, which is something that has not happened to me, I think, in my life. I think I was just so turned on. I'm like, oh, I'm a sick fuck. This is awesome. This is hot. Congratulations. That is super duper hot. Wow. Thank you. Would you feel comfortable sharing the specifics of your physical body and what he enjoys? Well, sure. I mean, I definitely love prostate stimulation. You know, uh, two fingers, you know, while I'm getting blown, two fingers, you know, pressed gently against my prostate, massaging it is zach's happy place and i shoot like a fucking geyser when that is the, with any prostate stimulation i just like come my fucking face off and it feels incredible i definitely have an extremely extremely sensitive head of my penis i mean I, that is the sensitive part but like yeah. i really like initially like starting with like light pressure light pressure light pressure that's almost like teasing me and then when you actually do more firmer pressure i'm like again losing my fucking mind so that's something i really enjoy i have a very like straight penis so that angles very high up so there's certain positions like it almost it like like touches my belly button when i'm hard like it literally goes like very up as opposed to out so there's certain positions that like reverse cowgirl does not work because the angles of like it will stretch my dick forward Mm -hmm. in a way that's not good so you do have to find certain angles i'm also six four so like, you know, sometimes doing, you know, doggy style, if someone is five feet, it, there are certain things you just have to navigate. So I've just kind of learned over time, like what positions kind of tend to work better and ones that don't. And often it's ones that I'm like typically in control of it. So I have an idea of like what the angle is going to be so I can make sure nothing is snapping here. I also love nipple play. I used to have my nipples gauged. And it felt so, so good. And now I had to take them out for a gay water polo league I was a part of. And like, there's so much less sensitive now. So I'm slowly working up the gauges again to get it back to where I was because it really felt so, so good uh, with nipple play, which is now like I'm not as into it as much. So I want to get back into it. That's hot. Is it like a partner's stimulating or do you like touch your own nipples while you come or like is it it just Uh, anything? Yeah. Nipple clamps? Nipple clamps, weirdly enough, like I don't necessarily love them, even though okay. I like the nipple stimulation. And I think 
it could be it's a little much because I have it pierced to have the clamps. They can be a little painful, but like I like more like the massaging and you have the pressure and then releasing pressure than having pressure releasing pressure as opposed to sustained pressure. Fuck yeah. What about your favorite ways to play with other people's bodies? Oh my God. I mean, uh, everything. I know that's such a cop-out answer. So let me think of something. That would be my answer too. (laughs) Yeah. But it's just like whatever turns you – I mean, I get turned on by what turns you on. But obviously, I love eating people out. I love sucking dick. I love – Kissing people's necks and slowly, you know, biting them just gently. I know some people overbite, which I don't love. A lot of the people I sleep with like being choked, and that turns me on as well. What's your approach to attending play parties? Like, it sounds like you have community that you maybe already know a little bit. Are you planning stuff ahead of time? Do you just like show up and see what happens? Do you tend to initiate, or are you just like open to whoever comes toward you? Like, what's your kind of Zach's play party? wisdom experience. Yeah. I mean, a lot now, most play parties I go to, I have friends who are there. So I've like some of the play parties I go to, I end up just talking to my friends and not even really hooking up. And you know, you just watch other people have sex and you flirt with some people and maybe you're like, oh, maybe another time we'd hook up, but I'm here with my friends. There are definitely times I go, especially if it's like with a partner and we're like, okay, let's find a third for us. Let's go out and seduce some people together. And that's like a really fun thing to do as a couple. I love flirting as a couple. I think that's so much fun. So I think it could be a combination of people coming up to me being like, hey, I find you really attractive. I'd love to play. And me going up to people being like, hey, I find you really attractive. I'd love to play. You know what I mean? It's a little more nuanced than that. I, I, in case people are listening who have not gone to sex parties, I don't want them to think it's like that easy or that sex is guaranteed. Like that's not how it works. But I'm very go with the flow. I think I just like being in that space. So mm-hmm. sex is amazing. And I have parties where I fucked a million people. And again, parties where I fucked no one. And both have been a blast. Amazing. What are some kinks that you have already explored? Maybe what are some kinks you want to explore? Oh, my goodness. It's like if I want to explore something, I feel like I have. I've never done like a proper like blow bang bukkake where it's just Mm. like 10 dicks and I'm like sucking them all at once and they all come on my face. Like I would like to do that. Although it's, you got to coordinate that. That doesn't happen usually accidentally here. Got to do it on purpose for sure. Yeah. I've never been like just like the one bottom with like 10 guys or five guys, whatever it is. It's always been group play. And I'm like, what would it be like to just be like fucking destroyed by a bunch of dudes? That is something I want to explore that I haven't yet. That's hot. Can you tell us daisy chain details? Like, I have so many fantasies about daisy chains, but I've never seen one in person, and I kind of wish I had a cock, so I might just have to be part of one with a strap on at some point, but that's so hot. I love daisy chains, and especially when it's like a MMF, so it's like I'm getting fucked in the ass while fucking a woman in the pussy. Not only does it just feel incredible, it's just very affirming as a bisexual person. You know, it's like when I'm having sex with a 250-pound hairy muscle baddie, and I'm fucking his ass. I'm not thinking to myself like, oh, this is very bi. I'm like, this is some gay ass shit. You know what I mean? This is a very gay. I, what I'm doing is very homosexual right now. You know, when I'm having sex with my girlfriend, I'm not necessarily thinking like, oh, this is bi. Like it's it's a very straight side. So like when I actually am able to sexually engage with a man and a woman simultaneously and literally having sex with both simultaneously, it just, it turns me on. It is affirming and it feels incredible. Obviously, I love things in my ass and I love fucking like it, it just feels great. And 
you have to like the first few times I did it, like I failed, you know what I mean? Just because like you have to get the angles right. You have to know what you're doing. It takes some practice to get used to. I also used to not be able to get hard while getting fucked. That was just like something which is not uncommon. That's just like it's so much stimulation. So you're getting like fucking pounded. So I almost had to like train myself to be like, okay, fuck me lightly while I jerk off. Okay, then we can go slow. And then over time, I like trained myself to be able to sustain being hard while getting fucked because otherwise like. I was so turned on and I wasn't nervous. It was just like so much stimulation and so much movement that I wasn't able to do it. So it was, took some practice and now it is truly my happy place. Although I haven't done in a while. I do it a lot with, do you know Wolf Hudson? No. Oh my God. He's like the king of bi porn. He's this very famous bi male actor. Then I will know him soon. (laughs) Yes, you will know him soon. He's amazing. And we play together and always, so I'm like, hey, I have a woman who I think wants to like, you know, we'll pimp each other out. And the women are like, yes, please, for the love of God, let's do this. And so he's one of my favorite people to have these by MMFs with. Damn, that's so hot. Also, the phrase daisy chain training. It's got to be the title of something already, but that's like really, it's hot that you like literally trained for daisy chains. Uh, got it, Yes. <laughs> Have you been in one with more than three people? Because I'm like, I wouldn't do a daisy circle. I don't know. Is that even possible? I think I've done it once the most with like four guys. And I think that point is just running a train. Or is that what running a train is? Is Or running a train is running a train on someone is maybe everyone's fucking the one person. Yeah, I thought it was more like a gangbang train. And it was more for us to just say like we did it because then eventually one person pulled out too far and then everything kind of shat. Like it's very difficult for all of us to be inside all of us with. Everyone having different bodies, different sized dicks, yeah. different ass insulation, different heights. But I think we just did it for about 10 seconds. I'm like, all right, we did it. We can say we did it. Let's go back to fucking par- in pairs here. Yeah. That's so amazing. Oh, my uh, God. Okay. Do you have a porn habit? Do you like porn? Do you watch porn? You have a porn friend? Like, after that, I mean, yeah. How do you go back from real life porn on people to regular just watching it? I feel like I go through waves. Like when I'm having more sex, I just tend to be watching less porn just because, all right, I had sex today and I'm feeling sexually satisfied. At times, whatever it is, I'm traveling, I'm stressed, I'm not meeting up with people the same amount. I definitely watch porn and I love it. Because I feel like I pretty much come every day. So either I'm having sex every day or I'm watching porn the, the days off. Fuck yeah. Do you remember your first like group sex experience? So we didn't have penetrative sex, but this was, oh God. This is a whole a whole story here, but I was going with some friends of mine to like Laguna. Their parents had like a place there, and I had a girlfriend at the time. And these were like these two women who were like best friends, and I kind of had a crush on them. And we drove each other to school and carpool and all this stuff. And we got drunk and like all hooked up. And it was a part of it was like a dream come true. But I had a monogamous girlfriend, and I felt so guilty that the next day. I like lied to the people I was staying with being like, hey, there's a family emergency. I got to go home. I called my girlfriend and I'm like crying on the car ride home. Being like, I did something terrible. I'm coming over now. She's like, are you okay? Are you safe? I'm like, no, I'm safe. But like, it's really, really bad. And I explained to her what happened. I'm like waiting for, you know, the hammer to fall. And she goes, is that it? And I go, what? And she goes like, oh my God, Zach, I thought you fucking killed someone. The, the way you were on the phone, like, Jesus, like, oh God. And, and she, I'm like, you're not mad? She's like, no, Zach, your friends are skanky. I'm like, did, 
wait, what? Like, so I remember being in shock that she wasn't mad. And then being like, did you just call my friend skanky? skanky. But like, 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 out of all the words to use, I remember that that was the word. Because I like, it's so funny. And then what she did, and again, I'm like 16, 17 at this time. Or 17, I must have been. And what she then did was describe essentially the difference between polyamory and an open relationship before I was familiar with those terms being like, hey, if you actually loved these women, I'd be very upset. But if it's just sex or the, uh, whatever it is, like, I know you love me. I know that's just a fun thing for you to do. And then ironically, this is one of the things that end up leading to us breaking up, which was even though like... I ended up cheating on her like another time. But at this point, we were almost open. So I told her the next day. And she's like, well, if you start actually having sex with these women, please wear condoms, Zach. And when she wasn't jealous the next time, I was upset. Like, I thought jealousy was a sign of love and affection. So the fact that she wasn't, I was like, this person doesn't like me or care for me. And I told her, I'm like, if you hooked up with someone else, I'd I'd be furious. I'd I'd be so angry and jealous. And not furious. I think I said I'd be really jealous and hurt. Mm. And... I don't feel comfortable with you hooking up with other people. And she's like, yeah, that's okay. But like, if you do, I don't mind. But again, I think there's other things in our relationship. Obviously, I'm also 17 too. But I really, now that that sounds like an ideal partner. It's exactly the level of jealousy I want to you know, my polyamorous partners who don't get jealous. Yeah. And I wish I had someone like her, but it was pretty wild that at 17, she had such understanding of herself, such understanding of the love I had for her, like just such a level of maturity. And yeah, again, the fact that I broke up with her because I thought her lack of jealousy was a sign that she didn't love me when that was not the case. Oh, that was the reason. Damn. That was one of the main reasons. Oh my God. People do that to me too. I mean, I'm, they're like, don't you have feelings? I'm like, yeah, a lot of feelings. I'm just very logical. What do you mean? You know? (laughs) So it's like, ugh, it's, it's not often appreciated. Wow. Wait. So was that, when did you start identifying as polyamorous? Oh my God. That wasn't until... I was like 23, 24. So this was 17. So this was like after college, I kind of learned about polyamory and kind of fell into it. And I actually, I write about this in my Cosmo column, I actually went into it for the wrong reasons. Mm. At the time, I was really not looking for a serious relationship. And I thought things could not be serious because the guy I started dating had a wife and girlfriend he lived with, a boyfriend he didn't live with, and then other like secondary and tertiary partners that I was like, oh, things can't get serious. Of course, we end up falling in love. I was seeing him six days a week. I end up moving in with him and his wife and his wife's girlfriend and lived with them for a year. That's so Or awful. almost a year. Whoa. Yeah. And that's, again, you can read all about this in my book, Boy Slut, A Memoir and Manifesto. Sold everywhere books are sold. Boy Slut, one word, because Amazon dings you if you do two different words because you can't have slut in slut. it. But because it's one word, it kind of escapes any being wow. penalized here. I wonder if that works for fuck slut. I'll try it. <laughs> uh, it, it might <laughs> actually. <laughs> that's, yeah. But yeah, so that's kind of how I fell into it. So I went into it thinking like, oh, I don't want a serious relationship. I didn't think polyamory was going to be serious. And then it ended up being quite serious. Mm. You've been to, it sounds like maybe a fair number of sexy resorts and places and spaces. Sure have. What? have you learned from those experiences and what are your observations about those spaces and just to let you know like it's my personal dream to create my perfect version of that and i haven't been to these ones yet and i want to go but i'm also socially very like ah! i have a hard time like with the stuff that i'm usually invited into yeah it's interesting because it's different there are intergenerational differences you know we have this like older generation of swingers for them, it's more they're brought up like, oh, no means no, as opposed to like, yes means yes. So I definitely have heard stories of, you know, other sex writers in their 20s or 30s 
who were not used to the, the approach of these older people. And B, being like, okay, well, no one's necessarily doing anything wrong, but like people went into this with different expectations, mm-hmm. with a different understanding of consent. So I think it can be a little bit challenging to navigate it if you come from a place where it's like, okay, like before you ask to hug or touch or kiss someone at most sex parties in New York, like, hey, can I touch you? Can I kiss you? Can I hug you? And this is not a place that that's going to happen. So you have to be very comfortable in your no and mm-hmm. saying like, please don't touch me as opposed to in other places, right? So I think that's been an interesting dynamic. I've noticed like a lot of them are open and not poly, like the older generations where it's like they have their wife who they love or their husband who they love, but they don't have other partners. They just fuck other people together as a unit versus we're seeing the younger generation, which now are definitely more like polyamorous and actually have multiple partners. But yeah, this intergenerational thing where it's like, yeah, the difference between enthusiastic consent and then these places that utilize more opt-out consent is how I define it, but more of a no means no than yes means yes. And so really making sure that you are aware of what the culture of consent is before going into that space because you don't want to be put in a space where you feel uncomfortable. Like if you're not someone who can comfortably say no, then you shouldn't be in the space, right? Yeah. Do the spaces curate that all? Like are there like – I'm sure there's some sort of like guidelines or something, are there? I think it depends. I think there are some guidelines for sure about how to do it, but it's more about like approaching people. But it's just different. And again, like I've I definitely heard of younger people being like, oh, it's, it's really bad. What they're, I'm like, no, it, it's not really bad. It's just different. And so you have to be aware of the space that you're going into. But definitely, no, I don't want to make it seem like it's a free for all. It's not like consent is still important in these spaces. Absolutely. But it's just a different type than potentially what you're used to. Got it. What would you say, in your personal opinion, are either the sexiest elements of a group play space or kind of like the pieces that lead to hotness? Do you think space has anything to do with it or like the container? What are your insights with your experience? Oh, for sure. I mean, that's why the sex parties spend so much time curating a space, right? To give it some sort of vibe and layout with the lighting and the beds and the sheets and the candles and the music, whatever it is. You know, they're definitely like classier sex parties I've been to with nicer sheets and beds. I've been to like grimy warehouse basement gay sex parties where it just like reeks of sex and like it's a dark dungeon. And like that's also fun too. So, and that's a very different vibe of what you're walking into. So, you have to know what the vibes are. And I've definitely been to like sometimes some of these dungeon grimier places where like a lot more people are just more touchy. And I'm like, I'm not feeling this. I'm going to go. You know what I mean? So also knowing when you're like, okay, I actually thought I was going to be in the mood for this or get turned on by it, but I'm actually not. So I can leave. Yeah. yeah. What about, have you ever been to any erotic theaters or glory holes in erotic theaters or things like that? Is that something you'd be interested in? Yeah, no, no. I've definitely been to like gay saunas, gay sex clubs and their glory holes there and gotten blown. I've been to just gay clubs that have just like a glory hole set up in the back, a gay bar where it's, you know, a little hush hush. And it's like sex is kind of allowed, but not really. But they still do it anyway. I love a good glory hole. You mentioned that you've paid sex workers. Is this something that you share about publicly? I mean, I shared it with you. So I'm sharing about it publicly. People always ask me like, well, Zach, you're hot. You can have sex with whoever you want. Like, why are you paying sex workers? And I'm like, because I just like the dynamic. Like, like, I like the fact that money is involved. It's hot when someone is paying me. It's hot when I'm paying someone else. Also, there's certain people who are sex workers online. I follow them on Twitter and Instagram. And if it's like, this is what they do for a living. And they're like, no, I get paid for sex, but I want to specifically have sex with them. Then yes, then that's how it works. Like they're not handing out fucks for free unless they're going on a date and they don't want to go on a date with me. They just want, this is their job. So if I specifically want to have sex with someone who I've been jacking off to on OnlyFans, whatever it is, 
yes, like that's exactly how you go about this. I just love money being involved. I also love sex tourism. I love going to places where prostitution is legal, mm. where you go to, yeah, a brothel, whatever it is. A brothel, that sounds like such a old school term here. But, but I like, think I, it's a hot word. <laughs> a brothel. The places that have it, I always just find it so much fun and fascinating to get a sense of like what the sex culture is. What's the sex worker culture here? Mm-hmm. So tell us. What are your hopes for your sexual self going forward, both personally and or work-wise? I mean, I really am pretty sexually satisfied right now. I feel like I'm pretty good about if I want to try something new, how to find partners who are also into it, to have a fulfilling connection, sexual connection with my partners, trying new things with my partners, because I used to really kind of get bored very quickly and then not want to have sex with them, and it became Mm -hmm. this issue and that I'm really working through. So I think reminding myself and also having, I have a lot of fun with sex and a lot of novelty with sex and also really focusing on having those intimate sexual connections as well with the people that I love. Because sometimes I don't necessarily do that because I like having the novelty, the newness, the excitement. So being able to also have that as well in my life, I think would be something to make sure that I work towards, right? And it's something I am doing with my current partner right now and prioritizing. So that's been really good. From a career standpoint, I mean, obviously, I want everyone in the world to read my book. I really think it can change people's lives, especially if you are bisexual, queer, kinky, gay, sex positive, or experiencing sexual shame. This book is for you. Yeah, it's funny because, like, you can't write a memoir every year. You know, I could write a different (laughs) collection of essays, but like, this is something I've been working on for about five or six years. This book, it's taken a long time to come out. So I'm not even necessarily thinking about what's next. And I'm almost at a point where I can, where it's like, okay, stuff is slowing down with the book. It's been out for about six weeks. I'm slowly slowing down on interviews. My book tour is coming to an end. I've done like 13 talks in I think nine different cities. So I don't know what's next. I've been focused on this for so long. I think I might actually get back into fiction, which is something that I wanted to do 10 years ago. It will still be sex positive and sexy and slutty and bisexual and kinky. But as I mentioned earlier, I'm kind of moving away from sharing about myself as much and having a little bit of a personal life while still being able to help people by sharing my stories, but not oversharing online. So I think the next thing would be, I really want to do a bisexual rom-com and write that as a novel. And that's Uh, what I've been talking to my agent about. And she's very keen on the idea. Oh, I fucking love that so much. Okay. So if you could wave a magic wand and teach everyone in the whole wide world something about sex, what would you teach them? There's nothing to be ashamed of. I think that's what it is and that you are normal. I feel like being a sex and relationship advice columnist, so much of what I get is, hey, is it normal that I like this? Is it like healthy that I do this? Oh, I think I'm addicted to this. And the questions are just like, am I normal? There's no such thing as normal. If you're looking at it in terms of like prevalence, like, okay, let's say you have a weird kink, weird quote unquote, let's say a different kink that 0.01% of the population has. That's still what, like 800,000 people that have it. And now it's easier than ever to find other people because you can get on FetLife, you can get on Field, you can get on Recon if you're a queer man. So just being like, you're normal and there's nothing to be ashamed of. Fuck yes. And if you could go back in time and give younger you a piece of sex-related advice, what age or ages would you pick and what would you say? I mean, honestly, I'd go back to when I was like, 12 and say that bisexuality is real. I think that's what it is. Like, I know that's maybe a little too much, but just letting you know that it is an option. Because at the time, I didn't 
think it was an option. I and like and that's kind of that language is actually from Fritz Klein, who's this famous like bisexual researcher, where he has a book that's called The Bisexual Option, and showing that like it is actually an option for you to be bisexual. It's not just gay or straight. So I wish I had known that it just was an option that I could pick. And I feel like that would have saved me a lot of internal turmoil, a lot of drugs and alcohol. I had to be like blacked out in order to have sex with men, didn't have a healthy relationship with sex, so much shame. So yeah, I think that's what it, what I'd tell myself. Mm, beautiful. And lastly, if you had an unlimited budget to build a sexy playroom or house or castle or mansion or whatever structure you want, it could either be just for you, it could represent, I don't know, it could be for any brand you want. What would you make this space like? Oh, God. Well, I love me a good jacuzzi. When everyone gets naked in the jacuzzi, that brings me so much joy. So definitely a big old like 50-person sex jacuzzi. I think I definitely would have a lot of like kink set up. So you have a lot of places for rope bondage, have a lot of places for impact play. And then somehow figure out a way to do more anonymous scenes. So if I get high, like a few rooms that maybe like have one entrance that I go in and then a different entrance that they go in. So then we can have, and it's like completely dark or something, whatever it is. So to have some more like kinky anonymous sex rooms would be good. I love it. That sounds like a great place to be a boy slut. Lovers, you can find Zachary at ZacharyZane.com. Thank you so much for being a guest on Sex Stories. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. This was a lot of fun. And go buy Boy Slut. <laughs> yes, go buy Boy Slut. One word, sold anywhere books are sold. I also have an audible of me reading it. So if you did like my voice, you can hear me reading it as well. That's what I'm going to do. That's for sure what I'm going to do. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much, Zach. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.